Tom, it's great to be here with you. Thanks, Bill. Pleasure. Thanks for having me. We have been uh, working on on challenges in law firms for a long time. Both share a real passion around data. You've gone off and started something new. So why 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 have you done that? Yeah, the genesis for this actually started pre-COVID several years ago. Uh, in our my prior consulting practice, we started getting queries from a number of law firms from their leadership teams, not just from a CIO or CKO or CMO, but the managing partner, the chairperson, the leadership. Um, we're asking questions that uh, were stressing the firm in their ability to turn around prompt responses. And the, the leadership of the firms started to become more inquisitive and recognizing that uh, whether it's pressure from clients or competitors that they wanted to make decisions that were rooted in data and not so much gut instinct. And um, we started doing some custom projects to build data platforms and data lakes. And I realized that there was an opportunity to bring something to the market that would allow firms to be able to take advantage of this technology more cost effectively and more quickly. And so um, wrote a business plan for it. Um, serendipitously, right around the same time I did that, a good buddy of mine that uh, I've known almost as long as I've known you, Andrew Sager, reached out and um, we'd collaborated many years ago when he started Relativity and um, we got together and he offered to fund the business and then COVID hit and I got cold feet and uh, finally realized that if I did, didn't do it now, I wasn't going to do it. So we kicked back up conversations and uh, started the business earlier this year. Well, I'm glad you've jumped in and uh... And you're doing it. You needed you needed to go create your your own thing. It's awesome. It's been a minute. Yeah, it's a been a been a uh, journey to get to this point, but certainly something I've always had in mind to try and take a take a shot at running my own thing. And we, we've been talking about how like firms' perspective on data. I mean, it's it's different today. Like, there's a level of attention here that wasn't necessarily what we were seeing before. Yeah, I mean, if you go back. Even I would say five, seven years, um, firms weren't really looking at their business the same way they are today. And it's not just younger law firm leaders coming into power. It's new leadership of any kind realizing that uh, there's too many market pressures that are forcing them to look at things differently. You know, in the old days, you know, hey, we raise rates 6% every year, we send bills, we get paid, there's a Q4 collection push that we have to factor into our cash flow. And that's really our business model. Um, and for a long time, firms could get away with that. And still there's firms today that, um, you know, are able to do that and be successful. But for most firms, they're recognizing that um, they, they have to look at data differently. They're seeing it again, you know, their client base is pushing them harder, um, where they're seeing, you know, competition from not only their own peers, but also ALSPs and the big four. Um, investments in AI obviously have triggered a lot of conversation and um, AI is only as good as the data you throw at it. So certainly there's interest in getting their arms around their data for for those kinds of use cases. But yeah, it's um, it's it's been fascinating to kind of look back over the last you know quarter century, which is scary to think about. Um, what what changes have I, have, have I seen or witnessed and certainly um, we're always behind in legal a little bit, uh, and it's I think it's finally come to fruition that law firms want to run um, with better data and have decisions that are rooted in data. 
Um, and that trickles down to, you know, how the rest of the C-suite and the leadership team operate. They're either individual administrative departments or business units. Uh, it's been really fascinating. And um, and I only see that continuing. There's, I mean, firms have been starting to realize that they needed to get their arms around their data. There's many firms that have built their own data platforms and a variety of different technologies. Um, certainly, Microsoft has made a huge splash around data. I think that's also helped socialize the notion that data is important. If you watched Build um, last spring, it used to be a developer conference and they may as well have just rebranded it data and AI because that's all it really was. Uh, and so Microsoft's made a big splash around data. Certainly that's created a buzz that's helped law firm leadership start to um, turn their attention towards it. Um, and also firms finally getting comfortable being in the cloud, you know, um, maybe life's all about timing two years ago this would have been a very different conversation to put all your data in azure but now firms are a lot more comfortable with the notion that they can do that um and do it and securely and successfully yeah and it's really i mean it's really about uh drumbeat that i've been on for a long time which is which is integration right you have all of these separate information stores in a firm and so what you're really talking about is is how do you pull that together make sense of it rationalize all that information yeah, it's really hard. We we don't have big data in law firms. We have broad data, right? <laughs> we have maybe 20 or 30 line of business systems that a firm may rely on to run some portion of their business. And even yesterday, I was on a call with a firm and we like to call these big tent projects. It can't just be marketing driving it. It can't just be finance or HR. They've all got to get together. And, and one of the conversation points was, well, the way we in finance, decide what an FTE is is different than what HR uh, thinks about an FTE. And I said, well, we can handle that either way, but maybe this is an opportunity for the firm to make a decision um, and have one, you know, one point of 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 clarity on on how we consider FTEs and lawyers. And and so those integration points, we've largely been working in these silos. And that's been, to your point earlier, Bill, it's been adequate. Um, to operate that way for some time. And we've built, I like to call data debt. You know, there's technology debt. We've built up data debt in law firms. We've got all these silos of data. And if you ask a firm how many lawyers they have, it, the answer is always, well, it depends on who you ask, right? If I ask HR or accounting, um, marketing, they've all got different answers because they've all we've got, got some lawyers to tighten in the closet. We just, we don't know, <laughs> we don't know what's going on. I, yeah. I love that term data debt. That's, that's yeah. awesome. I made that one up the other day, so I figure I'll stick with it. And so, um, so yeah, the integration challenge is not trivial. And uh, we've got lots of really robust systems that are easily integrated. And then we've got some more. We still got a lot of legacy mom and pop vendors and legal, right, that we all rely on. And so there's challenges bringing up systems that are really well known and popular and ones that, you know, aren't quite as mature and trying to rationalize all that and and give a firm a single source of truth it's it's a lot of really ugly unsexy data engineering work that's happening behind the scenes to do all that yeah and your perspective is really about breaking all those silos down which you've got this mix of cloud and on-prem and and the the work may not be sexy but the the end result's pretty sexy when you when you actually get to to have everything pulled together in one place yeah i mean it, absolutely uh and you start thinking about the use cases, you know, we talked about law firm leadership becoming much more, you know, inquisitive around data. 
Um, I was talking to a COO when I first started the business and she said, Tom, you know, just this week I got asked by our leadership team. So that's the managing partner executive committee. Hey, we want to return to work compliance report. And everyone in that room thought it was just a push button. Hey, it's technology, it's data. Certainly you have access to it. Well, what they didn't realize is that means card swipe reader data from a bunch of different systems. It means geolocated login data and mashed up with HR. That's not easy, right? Um, the report's sexy, the report's cool, but to get that together is not easy. And the next day, the same COOs asked for uh, a spin on a DE&I report from a client that, again, they think is push button, it's not. And so all that, that really hard engineering work can yield these really cool results, whether it's responding to those, you know, kind of ad hoc requests, building. Um, what The other thing we're seeing is firms are trying to sort of um, elevate their internal financial reporting and use Power BI in a more meaningful way. And there's lots of vendors out there doing financial reporting, but being able to have a, you know, a single source of truth that's disconnected a little bit from the line of business system and their individual limitations around reporting and saying, I just have all the data now and I can point Power BI at it and run any kind of report I want. It's pretty cool and make it look modern and beautiful. Um, yeah, that those are very interesting use cases. The other thing we're seeing firms do is they're leaning into a lot of, you know, MarTech, RevTech solutions that help identify revenue opportunities or experience management systems. Those are, you know, colloquially, I call them data hungry systems, right? So you whether it's in, you know, inter, uh, 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 foundation experience management implementation or something like origami, uh, those all require a heavy dose of data from lots of different places. And those by themselves are big data projects. And imagine a world where I don't have to build up yet another data silo and creating data debt now that I've got a separate yet another system that requires its own, you know, combination of people, organization, and matter data. I can do it one time and have it power everything going forward. It's pretty compelling. And then of course all the AI stuff, right? So right now firms are looking at AI in very kind of niche use cases, which makes perfect sense. Um, a lot of them around work product and documents. Um, there's a there's a whole greenfield opportunity of use cases for AI that are on the what I call we call it the practice of law and the business of law. And the business of law is a little underserved in these use cases. And there's lots of low hanging fruit um, to solve for some really simple problems to make lawyers more productive that don't infringe on their ability to build time um, that you can solve for once you've loaded up a good chunk of your firm's data and point it at an AI tool in a secure way, of course. <laughs> well, and you're, you're capturing there one of my favorite subjects, which is the importance of data management for AI, which I think gets skipped over a little bit, which is um, great great data is, is what really powers useful AI. Yeah, and it's um, one of the nice things about the approach we're taking is you get to see, <laughs> the best way to say this that it's it's really hard to do data governance in a vacuum it's really hard to do proper data hygiene on a sheet of paper or in a conference room or in a memo you've got to see the data you've got to touch it you've got to identify where the bodies are buried and sometimes um you don't even know where the bodies are buried uh, you know i was doing a project for a big firm uh before i, I started the business and unbeknownst to firm leadership um three different departments had their own industry taxonomy codes. So marketing was using one set of codes to describe matters that was not at all the same set of codes that accounting was using. 
and not at all set the, the same set of codes that Intake was using. And nobody realized that. It's such a big firm that they didn't talk to each other. And so we only through some exploration as a group did we identify this is a before you load up all this, you've you all got to sort this out. Like no software is going to fix this for you. Um, well, maybe you know, Sally might help a little bit, but uh, you know, you don't find those problems out until you have a problem to try and solve and go after. And so I feel strongly that, you know, strong uh, systems are great, but you have to have governance and you've got to have a way to illuminate some of these pain points. And the, some of the best ways to do that is to actually crack open your data and see what's there. And, and oftentimes there's things that you just aren't simply aware of as an organization until you dig into it. Yeah, I mean, we're here less than a year into the chat GPT experiment, which has you know brought all this attention on, on AI. Uh, everybody's already using AI. Like it, it sounds like this is this brand new thing, but uh, every law firm is using AI right this second. Uh, it's just, it's really useful AI because you don't call it AI. It's like, it's actually doing something. Um, what I, uh, what I find fascinating about this is that for a lot of firms, I think continuing their investment in KM would actually be the best thing they could be doing around AI right now, as opposed to actually the new generative AIE things that everybody's excited about which are going to have payoffs down the road, but it's just so early that it's really hard to to make great decisions about that. Yeah, if um, if you look and read what most folks that have been successful in any AI journey, they're curating a very niche subset of work product for the AI to work off against. That can be a really hard effort by itself if you don't have good KM already in place that's been curating, you know, a, a library of precedents and forms and know-how that you can draw from. Starting that from scratch is really hard and maintaining it. That's the, okay, great. So now something, some changes in the law have happened. Who's staying on top of those changes to make sure that the models that the AI is training, the documents the AI is training against. And I know it's, everyone says you don't need a lot of, you still need documents. If you're going to feed it a subset to be able to answer very specific questions around specific types of documents you've got to make sure those documents that you're pointing the ai at are up to date and someone has to stay on top of that and again firms that have mature well-functioning km programs already have a mechanism in place to make sure that someone's staying top on top of changes in the law and making sure that what they're feeding is the best of the best of the firm um and you know with without that in place then you're starting from ground zero and that is a really hard lift um you see firms that are jumping into this building you know ai committees and there were in legal we're so overreactive to stuff right so it's like okay we need an ai committee great let's do that and they should um but then the new car smell wears off and then six months later that same person who's been given sort of like wink wink billable credit to maintain this thing now actually has real work to do and they're not slow and so they they let that kind of slide and then you get the hallucination in, in AI or it's not the, the work product set you're feeding, it's not up to date, and then there's a problem with it. And then everyone says, oh my gosh, this thing's not as accurate as we thought. The whole thing now is trash, we should stop. Well, no, that overreaction is not good either. So there's gotta be this balance, but you're spot on, Bill. Like good, great, uh, good KM programs that have uh, a discipline in place to maintain and update you know, collections is super valuable right now. And, uh, and certainly where AI is, 
that's probably the the path to success on the on the practice of law side is having those curated subsets of work product that you can feed it. Um, otherwise, you got to go find it and have someone maintain it. And that's not easy. Yeah, it's neither the hype nor the backlash. It's it's uh, it's navigating through that. Yeah. And and what you're really focused on is um, is is building that central source of truth. And you've talked a lot about bringing the data together, but it's also going back the other direction. Once once you've created that, you then want to leverage that data and and feed it back into your systems. Yeah. So one of the things that's really exciting is to be kind of rehydrate systems. So if I if I take my industry code example, right? So if I have a CRM system, an accounting system, and an intake system, and all of a sudden I build this new source of truth that has the one industry code um, that is the the one above all, how do we get that updated record of data back into the CRM system, back into the because as great as a data lake might be, you're still going to have a lot of use cases where people are going directly and still will go to those line of business systems directly to run reports. People are still going to go to foundation to run reports out of it. People are still going to go out of elite for data. They're going to go to their line of business system in perpetuity. So being able to build a mechanism by which I can rehydrate um, or in or or add data that wasn't previously in there is really exciting. Um, third party data. You've, you've enhanced the data as part of that process. So that's right. That's why, right. Why don't we make the data better back at its source? Exactly. And then you get sort of this virtuous loop, right? Where all of a sudden over time, it's not something you can do, you know, like that. But over time, you start getting this virtuous loop where um, there's a, a nice synchronicity around how data starts in a line of business system, you know, gets gets into the central data platform, we'll call it, and then other data gets improved, and then I can kind of just keep keep that flow going. Um, one thing we didn't talk about earlier, but I think is also important, is you know the um, improvement around third-party data enrichment. You know, law firms, all these systems rely on data and. Uh, you're only as good as the data you bring to the party, and lots of firms are not bringing the best data um, to 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 the, to bear. And so, how do I accelerate through some of that? Lots of firms subscribe to lots of third-party data feeds. Um, you know, one of the most you know kind of common ones we hear about today is how I can take a, a feed from like a Thomson Reuters or a Lexis or any kind of docket feed and enrich something like Foundation, which is a great starting point. Um, one of the one of the big use cases you see at every firm that has litigation is something as simple as, hey, I used to see these emails all the time when I was on that side of the fence. How many how many cases have we had in front of Judge Falk? How many cases have we won in front of Judge Falk? How many cases have we had a motion for summary judgment granted in front of Judge Falk? Well, you pray that someone responds to an email, um, but that doesn't always happen. You can take these feeds from a third-party vendor that has all the docket data, especially in federal court cases where it's all e-filed, and get that data fed in and it's normalized and consistent. Um, when you talk to the API vendors that sell this stuff, the biggest challenge when they go to firms is the firms don't know how to accept that data and put it somewhere and rationalize it in a system that lawyers can use. And so 
getting this data into something like foundation is great, but what's even better is getting it that same data appended to a master central data platform that can feed foundation, right? So your idea about, hey, if I've updated the data lake or a data platform, I can then take, oh, now we have a judge attached to this client matter number that we didn't have before because we didn't collect it for whatever reason. Now that judge data can be appended to foundation. It can go to some Power BI reports. It can go into CRM system. It can go any downstream system I want. Um, so it's that kind of one-to-many enrichment concept that we're seeing more firms get really excited about. And, and really the whole theme of this is that we're we're talking about a, a maturation in how firms are viewing data for the purpose of making decisions, right? That, that's what's really driving this is we need we need better data so we can make better decisions. Absolutely. Um, and the maturation is happening at a few levels, right? So it's not just technology. Um, it's not just processes. We're seeing firms invest in people, right? So whether it's data scientists, sometimes that's can be viewed as a cart before the horse dilemma. But you know, I, I know a very large firm is is about to announce a chief, what they're calling a chief digital officer, which is really a chief data officer. You got folks like Cindy Barrett, Frost Brown Todd, that is a uh, chief data and innovation officer and so not all these firms have to be you know 3,000 lawyer global firms they can be firms with a domestic footprint with four or five hundred lawyers um you see what firms are doing like Fisher Phillips down in Atlanta right where they've they've gone all in on data they've they've DIY their own data platform on-prem they didn't go to the cloud uh they're doing amazing things and that's a combination of uh, collaboration amongst all the different you know chiefs at the firm um, coming up with some strong governance policies having a person that's spearheading it so they've got people they've got the classic people process technology you know kind of game down you're seeing more and more firms lean into uh, investing in people um, you know having some concepts around data literacy is really important like helping firms understand the power of data and also what it takes to maintain an update it's not a now, yeah, everybody thinks it's just a push button thing that happens, you know, in the back office somewhere, and that's not really the way it works. And so we are definitely seeing, um, you know, you know a, a huge increase in firms' uh, understanding of the power of data and what's needed to make it successful for them. And they re recognize that it's it's more than just technology. It's more than just hiring a data scientist and blessing them with the ability to go grab stuff. It's it's all the above. Yeah, I've really been impressed with the investments that I've seen firms now making in IT and innovation groups and the results that those teams are are producing. I mean, if when it gets to the point where you can hit a button and get a result, that means somebody did a whole lot of work <laughs> to make that button. Yeah. Yeah, that's I mean, that that's the sad part is that uh, at the end of it, it is just a, it, if it's done right, it is just a push button and all this magic is going to seem super simple. And I guess that is the sign of a job well done when you make something that's really complex seem really easy. Yeah, it, it's another, uh, you know, that, that investment is really paying off in, in defining uh, workflows in firms, which is very similar to the to the data management issue, which is if you know, if, if you're not doing good data management, if you're not defining your processes and documenting them, then it's really hard for for any of these things to pay off. Yeah, it's I've been doing a lot of reading on this topic and um, workflow workflows are if, it, if it's not one A, it's one B in terms of where firms are looking at using, whether it's AI or some other kind of supplemental technology. Um, and I would also say that, you know, this is also one of those classic 
conundrums that firms find themselves in where you want law firms to invest money in something that's going to automate a process. And when you say automation, that means less billable hours, which means potentially less revenue. So you really got to be thoughtful around uh, how you look at your business model. And that's the other thing I think that's that's interesting is we are, and I'm not saying it's a, a seed change, um, but when you look at process improvement or process automation, you look at workflow, um, it, you know, you don't want to cannibalize revenue uh, while you're investing money, right? So you kind of like, now you're doing a, you're having a double negative. I'm paying money to make less money. That's not a great business model, right? So how do I, how do I identify opportunities to think about things differently, whether it's fixing more work, aligning partner compensation to something that resembles, um, you know, a, a nod towards profitability rather than just bottom line revenue and hours, which doesn't um, lend itself to firms wanting to automate and, um, you know, make things more efficient. So it's you're seeing all these sort of things work. Uh, we're kind of putting the car together as we're driving it down the freeway in some instances, and that that's tricky. Uh, but these these kinds of events force firms to really reflect on themselves and identify you know where the soft spots are, and and, and workflow is a huge huge contributor to how we think about um, enabling these technologies and also how firms are thinking about their own you know kind of internal processes. Yeah, it's, it's definitely more complicated on the practice of law side. Uh, you, you mentioned the business of law side, which has huge opportunities and all kinds of, of uh, automation upside, and that's all that's all a win. Yeah, it's funny. I and maybe because it's because I'm not a lawyer uh, and 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 more and more focused on the business side that that I'm compelled by these. But I also think part of the perk of a business of law use case is that you're not infringing on the um, intellectual property that lawyers hold dear to themselves, right? So it, there's always sort of the skepticism that that you see with lawyers anytime you try and automate anything they do, and um, the business of law side skirts all that, right? So I'm not I'm not infringing on the lawyers, you know, enable right to bill time, <laughs> right? Um, but there are so many interesting use cases, and and I'll, I'll I just rattle off a couple that I think are pretty interesting. Something as simple as the annual forecasting and and um, kind of revenue process that CFOs and COOs and managing partners go through. It's very much uh, you know uh, more art than science. Um, you can use a lot of tools to help you know put some more meat on the bone in terms of how you're forecasting where revenue is coming from, client life cycle. Um, what can this is a big one that I'm really focused on, and it's this is a long play, but what contributes, what characteristics contribute to an associate that's going to be um, both effective and stay at the firm? Um, you think about the churn that you see at every law firm and how much they spend to you know recruit, train, and finally get. You know, I think most people say third year they're kind of breaking even, and then by the fifth year, a lot of them are gone. You know, that's a terrible model. Huge right? investment. Yep. Right. So imagine if I can just dial that back a little bit and and identify in advance students that meet a certain criteria that work at my firm culturally. Right. Imagine that at the partner level from a lateral recruiting standpoint. You know, I think most firms would say that they're if they're if they're at 50 50 between laterals that are successful and laterals that aren't and that's an that's a seven every lateral partner you bring on i don't care how big your firm is or your ppp that's a seven figure investment between the head fee you're paying the recruiter 
the salary of that person, all the time the partners spend voting on that person, interviewing them. They probably, if they're a big partner, are bringing on a team with them. Imagine just being able to say, hey, I'm going to increase your, your batting average by 10 points. Like that's a huge number to a, a big firm. Um, identifying cross-selling opportunities. Um, anomaly detection. This is really fascinating. You know, going back in time, there are certain events where CIOs have been caught, you know, doing fraudulent activities with vendors. Um, there's been instances most recently in the press where you've seen senior executives asking people in IT to do certain things on the systems that they don't normally do. Imagine having a system that can tell you or alert you to these sort of fraudulent activities that might be happening within the firm. Um, you don't, it's not, they're not always the most, you know, like um, sexy, exciting stuff, but some of these things are really important. So there's, there's all, you know, doing things, just something as simple as um, auto classifying a matter by area of law, you know, integrating with Sally, for example. There's lots of processes that we can help uh, support um, that are more on the business side that, that won't infringe on what the lawyers are doing that I think can have just an equal impact on the success of the firm um, alongside some of those practice of law use cases that seem to be really saturating the market right now. There's, a, I think, a whole other side of the fence that you'll start to see more involvement from uh, from firms and, and, and vendors on. Yeah, I've, I've always loved the business of law uh, side. Maybe it has something to do with those reasons. I mean, I'm deep into to building workflows these, these days, and it's it's amazing how much data is in there that you can take advantage of that you can really make uh you can move the needle for for firms by leveraging data they've already got and uh, just making those those processes better well you've you've been in this business a minute or two what are you what is the the biggest sort of epiphany you've seen over the last couple of years when it comes to data well i i, I think the the most important thing is the the change in the view of its importance, which you which you have been you've been talking about. I mean, we we have you know there, there's the the joke in this market of of you know this this is this we're running a law firm here, not not a business, and that is you know that's that's changing, um, and that's a very positive thing. And so you're seeing uh a lot you know you talk about new leadership that new leadership comes in and asks new questions which makes a huge you know a huge difference and i'm seeing that across firms of of all all sizes so it's not it's not just a large firm thing it's not just a mid-sized firm thing it's a it is a, a change that's happening in in the market and i think it needs to happen because we're seeing the the combination of of AI and regulatory change is really the first thing I've seen that has a long term potential to to really create competitive pressure for law firms that uh, that's unlike anything they have felt before, and and now is the time to be building that infrastructure and foundation so that you're you're in the right place to to win you know win that fight. It's interesting you mentioned sort of the long term. Um, when, when at Iltis, someone was mentioning the last time we saw something as white hot as AI was was blockchain. You don't hear much about blockchain anymore, right? But for for a minute, that was all people could talk about. And um, I feel like AI, to your point, I feel like this is different. Um, I, I don't think this is going to be may not be 
as big of an impact as we think, but it's certainly not going to go by the wayside where we don't talk about that anymore, really. I mean, it's not, I mean, it's there, blockchain's there. It's not like it's the technology's gone away. We just don't have this fever pitch focus on it like we we did a few years ago. Um, I think AI is going to become like the internet in two important ways. One is, is it would be close to the same level of importance long-term. We're talking very long-term. Yeah. And two, we don't sit. We don't sit around talking about the internet all the time, because it's just it's just sort of in the fabric, and and that's going to be the same thing with with AI. You know, AI is just software, and it's most useful when it's just an ingredient in something else. When when it is this brand new separate thing is when it's uh, most raw and most problematic. That's the phase we're at right now with generative generative AI. Yeah. Yeah, it's interesting. I was reading something else you wrote around um, prompt and gen AI, you know, the just the consumption levels and are we being thoughtful around um, long term? Is this the best tool for the job every time? Um, because there are some costs associated. There are hard costs. You know, Microsoft is charging a premium for these services. I think the uh, the the GP, the uh, co-pilot inside of office is a, an extra $30 per user per month, right. which doesn't sound like a lot, but that is a lot of money on top of your EA uh, or whatever they're calling it these days. And then there's also the the other costs, right? I think you said uh, an a, a Fiji bottle of water for every X number of prompts on top of a base query inside a GPT every time you run it, like that's not nothing over time. Um, yeah, just the processing, just the water required to keep the computers cool in order to support the processing necessary. I mean, it's like bringing a bulldozer to a party when what you need is a shovel. There's so yeah. many use cases where uh, generative AI is just so oversized to the to the problem. And of course, we're going to get much better at that, right? We're going to get better at at sending, okay, this particular prompt or this particular issue can be dealt with with a with a much simpler level of technology effectively because we we have the the history to to know that and pick the right routing for it yeah it was interesting i was reading an article this morning um where a lawyer kind of was going through all the use cases and it just dawned on me based on a conversation i'd had with a, a customer earlier was you know what you're talking about actually be much better served by just an old school document assembly, like pick one off the shelf that you've, you probably already have one you're paying for that you just need to dust off and use. Like you'd be much better off using that than AI. You'll have much better results, more accurate results. It's not sexy. Um, but yeah, there's it's it'll be interesting to see where everything kind of evens out. That's the part that you, I think you're alluding to, Bill. It's like we're, we're kind of in the, we're in that sort of up and down cycle with AI. Um, yeah, it's, uh, you know, we've only been in this, what, six, seven months. So it'll be interesting to see a year from now what we're talking about. Yeah, I mean, ChatGPT was released 10 months ago. It seems like we're in a different world because of that, if if what you do is live in this. Uh, you know, Brian Ink Inkster makes a really interesting point about document assembly versus generative AI, which is document assembly is this really great technology that works really well. We know exactly how to use it but we don't really use it yeah fair why why is this going to be different 
And I think it's a I think it's a great question. Yeah, and again, that's maybe where we get off the AI hype. There's the sort of a leveling off of everything has to be generative, everything has to be AI. And maybe that maybe the hype of that also sort of reintroduces us right to systems that we've had in the firm forever um or processes like you mentioned earlier having a good knowledge management function will support this maybe this helps sort of reintroduce firms to the notion that i i do need to have uh, a really solid knowledge management capability to take advantage of ai in any form um going forward so and it'll be interesting to see how that um that all shakes out yeah, I just think I think it's going to take a lot longer to play out than than people are are predicting. Yeah, for sure. Well, Tom, this has been a, a whole lot of fun. I appreciate you doing this. We, oh, my pleasure. It's great. We keep talking for, for forever. <laughs> I, know. I I appreciate you giving me the opportunity to chat with you a little bit. It's been fun. Thanks.